Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. What a crazy time to be alive. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. From the Rocky Mountains of Denver, Colorado, my name is Charlie Robinson. Thanks for hanging out with me for the next hour. If you want to connect with me, you can do so via email, charlierobinson at tntradio.live. You can follow me on Twitter at Macroaggressions, or you can follow my podcast, Macroaggressions, wherever podcasts are served. Let's jump into the news headlines, shall we, for this Wednesday, December 13th, 2023. Portland officials propose to reban public drug use. Governor to declare a fentanyl emergency. Oh, that ought to do it. Uh, this was passed in November 2020 with almost 58% support to go to a more lawless version of reality. Um, another dumb idea brought to you by your woke government, the enemy of humanity and forced to deal with the repercussions of the laws that they themselves have put into place. Also, newly released records reveal Secret Service boats were inoperable during rescue attempts of Obama's chef, Tafari Campbell. Both boats were disabled. What a coincidence. Uh, Two boats with motor issues at the exact same time surrounding a death close to a president of the United States. Nothing to see here. Move along. Move along. Also, San Francisco Supervisor Dean Preston claimed that the city's homeless problem was absolutely the result of capitalism. Uh, And this was... Uh, and that it is, in fact, counterproductive to arrest people for openly doing drugs. Definitely, it's not because of mental illness or addiction or, of course, San Francisco's policies. And uh, lastly, IBM has been slapped with a federal civil rights complaint after racist CEOs' obviously illegal hiring practices leak. Um Arvind Krishna, the CEO and chairman of the board of IBM, is caught on video promising to fire, demote, or deny bonuses to corporate executives who fail to meet IBM's racial and national origin hiring quota, or who hire too many Asians. This is what you get when you get uh, ESG and DEI into the workplace. Uh, He went on during this uh, during this taped Zoom call. He goes on to admit to using coercion to fire people and reduce their bonuses if they don't discriminate in the hiring process. And he said that they wanted more blacks and less Asians and whites. He was not subtle about this. It's all on video. You can watch it. Project Veritas, or the formerly known as Project Veritas, uh, has covered this, uh, and it is getting some traction in the mainstream corporate press now. Um, Quote, I'm not going to finesse this. For blacks, we should try to get towards 13%. That's what the CEO said. Um, And if you do then you get your bonus. And if you don't, then you don't. See how this works? Uh, I think it's probably important to remind people that IBM is one of the companies that stopped running their ads 
on Elon Musk's X platforms due to the possibility of, quote, racial discrimination. Oh, the irony of this. IBM discriminating based on racial characteristics while virtue signaling that they're pulling their advertising from X because of fears of racial discrimination. You know, the thing is, if you let these people talk long enough, they'll hang themselves with their own rope. And and that, of course, is what is going on at a lot of these woke multinational corporations. They're, they're financially incentivized through a diversity, equity, and inclusion program. There's a lot of money sitting off to the sides that governments have to throw at companies that get on board with this radical way of thinking. But unfortunately, when the soon, you know, thought to be private Zoom calls make their way out into the wild, they suddenly don't look as great as maybe they had dreamed them up back in the boardroom. So you can expect big changes coming at IBM. Of course, I'm sure they'll deny, 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 but uh, you can deny reality all you want, but you cannot deny the repercussions of denying reality. Hey, if you missed your favorite TNT radio show or interview, simply listen back when you want, wherever you want. Just visit episodes on the TNT radio website. We are also on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart, and TuneIn. Now, there is no reason to miss out on anything on TNT Radio. Russia, gas prices, COVID mandates. It just doesn't seem like anybody's doing anything about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. According to a London-based fact-checking charity, a rise in fake news photos generated by AI is eroding public trust in online information. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT Radio News producer, Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Hey, Ruckus, so we've got problems with AI. Wow, uh, color me shocked. I know the news. It, it is getting close to the end of the year, people. It is the middle of the week. So, you know, we see a vast majority of these like no duh headline stories coming in. But at least it's good that they're reporting about it because it used to be just people like you and I and the listeners who are like screaming from the rooftops about stuff. But uh, yeah, we're back into see, I'm a fan of facts. I'm sure you're a fan of facts, Charlie. But how do you feel about full facts. Uh, actually, Full Fact is the name of the uh, charity group. Um, so I caught this one thanks to uh, the Daily Mail and Sky News. I don't think uh, any American media has picked up on this yet, but they basically are reporting how thousands of internet users are being duped into sharing bogus images uh, from Prince William and Harry embracing at the coronation, didn't happen, to fake mugshots of Donald Trump. Of course, we do have real mugshots of Donald Trump now. Uh, full fact, uh, as I mentioned, is the group. They said that the quote unquote influx of phony images often came in response to the increased demand for up to date information during major international events. Makes sense. Uh, you want like a nice graphic for your story or your blog. Uh, it's usually hard to get your hands on that unless you can get the actual source material and pay a pretty penny for it or risk a copyright infringement. So a lot of folks have turned to AI, but it's led to a problem. <laughs> uh, researchers at the fact-checking charity, again, they're called Full Fact, said the intention was likely not to convince people the images were real, but to, quote, reduce trust in information generally, end quote. Say what? Chief Executive Chris Morris warned the growing problem posed a huge threat to democracy, particularly 
with a general election looming right here in the United States. News industry representatives last night highlighted the importance of traditional media outlets in debunking the rise of information and providing a trustworthy alternative. They did like a slide presentation. Uh, almost anyone can now create a realistic looking photo using any of the free AI image generators online with just a simple prompt. So basically, you don't need a lot of skills to do this, Charlie. Uh, with the technology getting both increasingly sophisticated, Full Fact said the images were becoming harder and harder to fact check. Now we have a problem. The Full Fact report warned that there was a, quote, serious risk that public trust in information on the Internet is falling as the number of misleading AI images being shared online rises, end quote. Researchers found, quote unquote, multiple instances of AI generated images that looked believable to the casual viewer being shared thousands of times across forums, across forums and social media. In one case, a video with more than 78,000 likes and 2,700 shares circulating on Facebook appears to show photographs of Prince Harry and William uh, hugging each other at King Charles III's coronation. The video shows a slideshow of eight photos where the royals can be seen embracing and speaking in various different locations, supposedly throughout the celebrations, but the photos are not genuine and were created using AI tools and were published before the coronation took place. You know, that should have been your red flag right there, people. Uh, the images were originally published in a blog post where the author explains how they used the AI image generator called Midjourney to, quote, imagine a heartfelt reconciliation between the two brothers, end quote. Uh, among the other AI photos widely circulated were a fake mugshot of former President Donald Trump following his surrender in the U.S. state of Georgia on charges of plotting to overturn the state's election results. That one has been viewed over a million times on X, formerly known as Twitter. Owen Meredith, chief executive of the NMA, which represents local, regional, and national publishers, said, quote, where we must place our faith is in trusted, independent, and editorially controlled journalism. Journalists are trained with the public interest in mind. AI is not. It has no such commitment to the values we hold as a democracy. Therefore, we must do all we can to support a free and sustainable press in our society so it can, can continue to speak truth to power and expose falsities on our behalf, end quote. My goodness, has Owen Meredith seen the state of the news these days? Anyways, Mr. Morris also highlighted the importance of trusted news publishers and fact checkers in debunking the misinformation, but said it was unfair to rely on them to tackle it alone. And the charity is calling for the government and Ofcom, the new internet regulator under the Online Safety Act, to dedicate more funding towards media literacy. Uh, folks, if you're in the live chat room, I'm going to drop a link to an article from Sky News about this because they do show uh, some of these uh, images so you can check it out yourself. Uh, it even has one uh, of Elon Musk kissing his robot wives, Charlie. Fascinating stuff. What do you think about this? Oh, is this what is destroying journalism? Uh, because it's, you mean, not all the pathological lying and the misrepresenting of stories and getting your sources from the Pentagon and getting it from spokespeople close to the president's thinking said, yeah, it's got to be artificial intelligence that's doing this. Now, I get a little nervous when they start talking about uh, dangers to our democracy, because I don't think it's 
the demo I don't think it's yours and mine. I think when they say our democracy, what they actually mean is their democracy. And so I'm a little concerned when they start talking about how artificial intelligence is going to throw a monkey wrench in that. But of course it is. I mean, it's hard to believe anything that you see online these days. And now with this technology, it's it's taken it to a whole nother level, not even to mention the fact that we're going to get ourselves into an era where they start to manipulate video in a way that is indistinguishable from reality. We're going to find ourselves on a slippery slope here. But I mean, if the media is complaining that AI is doing their job, well, maybe do your job a little better then, huh? Yeah, it sure feels as if they're not complaining that AI is causing a problem uh, of trust because it's distracting people from the truth. It's distracting people from their version of the truth, which is anything but, Charlie. Yeah, this is this is a, a problem that the media has had for a long time is that they've lost trust. It's hard to regain it with the with the implementation of artificial intelligence in, in the form of just straight just image manipulation um it gets us into a world where we have to question everything we should question everything and of course the media doesn't really like that because they want you to just mindlessly consume the narratives that they put forth and not have you question anything so if you're questioning that whether or not the photo is real isn't the next logical step to question whether or not the story itself is real well and then we could take it a step further is the person entering the prompt into the ai uh generator even real <laughs> so um and, and but they're not afraid to say these things anymore charlie we're way past the, we've crossed the rubicon I, you could come up with a million expressions to insert here but um Point of no return, my friend, uh, just witnessed John Kerry, if I'm not mistaken, at the COP28, literally saying that, you know, hey, don't listen to don't do your own research. You can only listen to us, the trusted sources of information. I'm like, wow, that's that's a big, big problem. But they're they're not afraid to be these dictator dictators when it comes to the, uh, uh, the, the dissemination of information to people. No, no problem at all. In fact, I just saw that the CEO of Sports Illustrated was asked to step down due to the magazine using fake reporters to write fake reviews on fake stories. So um, they had bought a, an AI generated avatar of a, I think it was like a normal middle-aged white man was the title, something along those lines. And they used that as the quote reporter of the event. And uh, it was a story that was written by somebody that didn't exist, written by a computer that isn't a person, and it was passed off to the readers as being um, authentic. And of course, it wasn't. So uh, maybe there will be some accountability, probably not enough to our liking. I, mean, I think that uh, if it were up to us, the entire mainstream media apparatus would be uh, taken out back. But um, but well, maybe it starts with AI. This could be a good thing in the in the long run. We'll see. Who knows? Thanks, Ruckus. We appreciate the 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 news on this one. It's not going away anytime soon. Hell of a Wednesday, huh? Unfortunately, not, Charlie. We'll talk to you tomorrow, my friend. All right. See you then. Um, excited to have Mark Gober back in the second part of the hour and also Jason Bassler, founder of the Free Thought Project, will join us right after the break.
This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Joe Hoft. Just a terrible situation there, and Biden was behind it pushing these arms, pushing billions of dollars over there. We don't know where that money went. I'll bet you money. I'll bet you a huge percent uh, went, to, I bet you more than 50% didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war. Uh, it went to people's pockets, kind of like what we have in, in uh, Palestine. Uh, with the U.S. Since, since, well, under Biden, uh, Trump shut this down, thank God, but under Biden, Obama, they started sending billions Billions over to uh, that part of the world. These people are, have been after Israel forever and, and uh, supported by Iran and billions of dollars going their way and uh, to help them, uh, you know, basically uh, create chaos in the Middle East, terrorism. And, and we saw what happened earlier this year, about a month ago, uh, the two one attack in Israel and the death and destruction, rape and kidnapping, more than 240 people kidnapped. Joe Hoft on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not far-right, just right so far. TheLightPaper.co.uk. The conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. We're back with the Charlie Robinson Show. My first guest is the founder of the Free Thought Project, the founder of Policing the Police, and you can catch everything related to him at jasonbassler.com. When I want to talk about libertarians, voluntarists, and anarchists. He's my go-to guy, ladies and gentlemen, Jason Basler. Hey, Jason, good to see you. How are you? Doing well, Charlie. Thanks so much for having me on again, brother. It's always an honor and a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Well, likewise. Uh, well, we've got a new president in Argentina, and he's saying all the right things, and I like the things that he's saying, and they sound good, and he wants, and he's got a chainsaw, and I like that, and he and he and he hates the state, and I like that, and he hates the the socialists, and 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 I I want to like this guy, I really do. He's got the crazy, you know, Dudley Moore haircut, and he's kind of out of his mind. But is he a wolf in sheep's clothing? Is this guy who he says he is? I know he's going to have his hands full dealing with the currency situation going on in Argentina, but I'm curious, what's your take on new president of Argentina, Javier Meili? Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, you know, it is a very exciting time with the rise of Javier Malay, and, you know, I'm excited. I want to be straight up though with you, you know, first and foremost, I think there's an important caveat here. You know, I myself am a libertarian anarchist. Uh, obviously, I believe the state is immoral, uh, it's illegitimate. As Lord Acton, you know, famously said, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So I am hopeful. I, I share that sentiment with you. Um, but I believe we also need to remain consistent here and not succumb to a political personality. You know, watch with a keen eye, you know, make sure he's not betraying his campaign promises. And uh, we as libertarians, you know, we need to be the first people to acknowledge it and actually call him out uh, if he does so. So, you know, this is super important. Otherwise, you know, we're just be going to become another faction of political fanboys uh, turning a blind eye, you know, just because he's, you know, quote, our guy or whatever. So uh, I, I think that needs to be said first and foremost. But it certainly has been interesting and amusing, you know, to, to see how the mainstream media has been talking about him and his political identity. I mean, you know, 
I don't think we've ever heard the New York Times mentioning the words anarcho-capitalism before. I mean, can you recall any time that they've ever said that? Yeah, right. So no, never, never, never. This is this is sort of groundbreaking uh, uh, territory that we're in. We're we're actually having the conversation about the things that he says. He's forced by saying what he says. He's forcing the press to have to report on it. And so when he talks about anarcho-capitalism, like it or not, the spotlight follows him. And so these these ideas and concepts that are are shunned in the mainstream media have no choice but to be dealt with. And so the, for those out there that are finally anarcho-capital, you know, what is this? You know, what are we? I've never even heard of such a thing before. Well, maybe it's the spark that starts them going down a path of taking a look at what this really is, because this is a guy that's got, you know, he came out and he said, there is no money. He's, he's there's no money, you know, and he talks about how it's they're running at about 200 percent inflation. I mean, well, you cannot you can't run a business. You can't run a government. You can't run anything when you're trying to account for 200 percent inflation. I mean, you've got to pay your this is like Weimar Germany, where you have to pay your employees at the every day at their lunch break just to keep, you know, because the value of the currency is falling so, so fast. I mean, what do you do if you're if you're if you're Javier Malay and what do you what is your first step? You know, you get it. You get installed as as president. You've got it. You've got the proverbial chainsaw. Oh, you start that thing up. Where do you go first, Jason? Well, you know, he won pretty big. He won by a good margin. I think it was around 56 percent. And remember, you know, Argentina is a big country. You know, it has roughly 45 million people. It's comparable to Spain and its population size. So this is significant. This is important to recognize that a campaign like this can be successful you know, in, in a, a major country such as Argentina. So, um, you know, first of all, to answer your question, Charlie, like he really can't make things worse, right? Like, can we just acknowledge that first? Yeah. Um, you know, and he's already off to a great start. And in, in fact, his first day as a president, he's already signed an order reducing the number of ministries uh, from 21 to nine, which was one of his, you know, campaign promises. So, you know, we're already off to uh, a good, a good, you know, start here. And, you know, just yesterday, Malay's economy minister actually announced an emergency package and proposed a 34% cut to political positions. And, you know, they want to cut uh, government ad spending, they want to cut uh, energy and transportation subsidies, uh, quite a bit more. So, you know, these are pretty drastic moves. And I guess now, you know, next, we just have to kind of wait and see, you know, how the public will react to that. And I think, you know, there is risk here if Malay isn't able to change things in a couple years, you know, because his opponents uh, and the public, you know, they'll point at this free market guy as being the problem. And historically, how this plays out is like, you know, after decades of center left and even far left policies uh, that essentially destroy the economy, the public then wants to try something new, right? But they don't really understand the nature of markets and economy. Our economics and, and and ultimately the sacrifices that will likely need to be made to realign the economy and get it off this fiat currency. So if they do elect, you know, this free market guy, which they did, and he can't fix things in one term, they're likely going to turn on him. And, you know, I personally don't think that four years is going to be enough. Uh, you know, we've seen that in El Salvador, you know, with all their uh, change and embracing Bitcoin and crypto. I mean, that takes a while, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. So it's going to be interesting to see. And, you know, one of the big questions also will be if the public is willing to accept these austerity measures, uh, especially 
from the shift from the peso to the dollar. You know, it's going to be a bit of a transition. It's going to require cutting spending, which some people might might not like. And, and I'm sure certain demographics of people uh, like pensioners, for example, for example, you know, will probably fall victim to some of this leftist rhetoric and, and campaigning and will likely turn on Malay. So I suppose the hard part is what's going to come next. And, you know, just because he won the election doesn't necessarily mean he could just do whatever he wants. Right. Uh, there's still going to be special interest groups working against him. Uh, of course, all the political games and targeting that might, you know, dissuade the public in another four years. And, you know, that might not want to give Malay uh, all the time that he would really need to fulfill this vision of his own economic libertarian order. Yeah. Well, you mentioned El Salvador, and that's a that's a, a case I wanted to bring up as well, because this is an example of what you really can do if you put your mind to it and and start to transform society. We saw what Bekele was doing there with um, the, the massive prison, which, of course, you and I are not big fans of. But but to tackle this MS-13 situation, so simultaneously try to make the country safer while also transitioning to Bitcoin. And we watched them do that. We've seen Bitcoin Beach at El Zante. Uh, there's a new sort of concept that's taking over Central America. It is the possibility that you could replace your currency with something else. Um, I saw today that in Argentina, they devalued the peso over 50%. And he said, it's going to be bad and it's going to get bad before it gets better, but it's going to get better. I wonder, Jason, do you think we're in a position where we could see uh, Malay decide that he wants to try and implement some sort of Bitcoin standard in Argentina, or at least bring it in as a backup option? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's certainly possible. And, you know, this is the same guy who said, you know, if printing money would end poverty, printing diplomas would end stupidity, you know? So I think it's safe to say that this guy is very much a free marketer. You know, he's very much on our side economically. Uh, I know that there are quite a few people in our circles who are skeptical of him. And I don't view that as a bad thing. I think we should kind of remain skeptical. And I can understand why American libertarians aren't exactly thrilled with things like attending, um, you know, the World Economic Forum and being listed on the website. Uh, of course, you know, he was waving the Israel flag shortly after October 7th. And uh, more recently, he um, reversed his stance committing to the Paris Climate Agreement. So all these things are significant, but as Sal the Agorist said on Twitter, you know, all of these things are more or less immaterial if he does indeed shut down the central bank in Argentina. You know, I mean, that would send a, a serious, serious message to the globalist. And kind of like how we saw the dichotomy during COVID with these different policies that Sweden put in place compared to the rest of the world, uh, this will likely act as like a real-time experiment of sorts with central banks. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, you mentioned... Um, you know, the, the, the different policies. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how Malay's libertarian view on drug policies will coincide with security policies as well. You know, that's a very po a popular political talking point in Latin American, Latin American countries. So, um, yeah, it's, I guess time will tell, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. And I'm just happy to see a libertarian win a presidential office anywhere, really. We, we didn't think it was possible. We'll, we'll see how it how it goes in Argentina. They will definitely be judging us. Let's drop out for a quick news break. We'll be back in a minute with Jason Bassler. Here we go again. All right, let's go. go. TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is unlikely to secure additional U.S. aid in his latest visit to the U.S. Capitol. 
Judicial officers in New England and Wales have been officially permitted to utilize AI tools like ChatGPT, Google Bard, and Bing Chat for certain aspects of their work. Australia is set to implement a nationwide ban on engineered stone products to safeguard workers from potentially fatal health issues. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. We're back with Jason Bassler. You can find his work at the free the the free thought project.com easy for me to say or jasonbassler.com hey jason what do you make of zelensky we've seen him out on his on his uh, america tour begging for money i saw him posing with a bunch of military industrial complex ghouls yesterday that looked like uh you know it's been a great year for for, for them I, I bet he's probably getting uh, a christmas card or lighting a candle <laughs> in the menorah something for him uh is he going to be able to squeeze every last drop of money out of the american government or have they made a decision that it's a little bit more of a uh, a new shiny new toy what's going on in <laughs> israel yeah it, it certainly feels like uh there have some been some shifts that have taken place recently charlie and you know just a quick note you're not the only person who gets the free thought project name <laughs> mixed up it's a bit of a, a tongue twister so yeah don't feel bad on that but you know uh there has been some clear shifts in dc you know months ago um biden vowed the u.s commitment to ukraine would not weaken uh but there has been a more of a subtle shift public messaging from biden as of lately you know um, you know, at the, the start of the war, he, he was saying something along the lines of like, as long as it takes. Uh, but in a recent news conference, you know, that rhetoric has actually changed to as long as we can, indicating that Biden may be feeling some uh, pressure that's, you know, now been focused on the, the billions given to Ukraine. And, uh, you know, Biden still announced that Ukraine will be getting another 200 million, uh, which is still, you know, a large amount of money, but it's really a drop in the bucket compared to the billions that uh, the U.S. has already given and, you know, the original 60 billion that uh, Biden sought for in his initial funding request. So uh, the interesting thing about this, though, Charlie, is that nobody really knows like how much the U.S. has sent to Ukraine since the start of the war in, in February 2022. I mean, even if you try to Google it, if your listeners try to Google it, you, you don't get a straight answer. You know, some sources say 70 billion, others say 46 billion. A couple months ago, we were seeing this number being floated around as high as, you know, 113 billion. It's this big mystery and nobody really knows. And, you know, just recently, Zelensky was actually on Fox News and he was asked, you know, what he would say to the critics who claim the U.S. has sent too much money to Ukraine. And, and this is all exact, uh, exact quoting, right? So listen to this guy. He said, don't build no the roads, Spend all your money on weapons, drones, society, and pensions, and don't cry. He said that. He said, don't cry. We are the leaders. We have only one enemy, and that's Putin. So, <laughs> I mean, we know this guy's an actor, right? Like, that, that's something that we've all known, you know, but the fact that he's putting on this show, it really is comical. You know, I have, I have plenty to say about this, Charlie, so you're probably going to have to stop me here if you want to jump in, but... But, but Jason, who will build the roads? The, 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 the statist <laughs> argument of all time. Oh my goodness, this is this is disgusting to me. Of course, he's in, he's out of his mind. But but he's got a reason to believe this. He's been he's been shown time and time again that if he comes and begs for money and threatens p 
people and demands it, that he's going to uh, he's going to get what he is looking for. The question is, like you rightly brought up, is how do you quantify this? You know, how much of this is direct cash payments going to them? How much of this is money that never even leaves the United States but goes right to Boeing and Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and counts as money going towards Ukraine, but it never actually gets there? It reminds me of John Perkins' book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, when he was talking about how they would line up these loans with the World Bank and the IMF for poor countries. and But the countries would never actually get the money. The money would go to his country that was building the, the projects. And it would, you know, it would sort of in a roundabout way help the country, but it never actually wound up in their hands. Do you think the same thing is happening? Is this just a get rich quick scheme for the military industrial complex? Oh, yeah. I mean, I know for a fact that this is happening. Don't forget the Pandora Papers told us that Ukraine was one of the most corrupt governments on the planet, you know, and don't forget, Charlie, that in April of 2022, you know, just two short months after the war started, a U.S. official said that the White House has almost zero ability to track the weapons that it's sending to Ukraine. Uh, another source said that the weapons disappear into the fog of war and they drop into a big black hole. So this is absolutely highly irresponsible. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that just two days ago, we had reports about the White House uh, being concerned about Israel using white phosphorus in, in Lebanon, uh, which is ironic for a couple of reasons. You know, one, according to the Washington Post, uh, the U.S. supplied that white phosphorus. And we, know, we know, don't know specifically, you know, what application it was used for. But if it was used against civilians, uh, that violates international law and is a war crime. Uh, of course, John Kirby assures us that, you know, quote, anytime that we provide items like white phosphorus to another military, it is with the full expectation that it will be used in keeping with those legitimate purposes and keeping with the law of armed conflict, you know? <laughs> uh, sorry, I couldn't help but laugh there. So not, uh, yeah, yeah, I understand. <laughs> not only is Israel bombing Gaza, you know, into the Stone Age, but they're also bombing Syria. And they bombed uh, the airport in Damascus and uh, Aleppo not once but twice since the war started. And that's not all, right? As I mentioned, you know, Israel is also bombing uh, South Lebanon as well. So there's three different countries Israel is bombing right now, all under this facade of being the victim uh, after October 7th, um, you know, which kind of leads credence to this October 7th false flag inside job theory, because it just feels like a lot of this is coordinated. A lot of this is an offensive campaign rather than a defensive campaign. And, uh, you know, not to mention just three months into the war, you know, now there's been 18,400 innocent women, children and civilians killed in Gaza, uh, you know, since February 2022, 20, uh, the Ukraine Russia war started. Since it started then, there was, there's been 9,614 civilians that have been killed. Now, however, Biden literally said that civilians dying in Gaza was just, quote, the cost of war. Uh, and, you know, other people in his administration echoing that same sentiment. Um, but then he called the civilian deaths in Ukraine a genocide. You know, so it, it doesn't make any sense. There's clearly, you know, hypocrisy and double standards coming out of Washington uh, when it comes to these civilian deaths and, you know, sanctity of life. Yeah. And you and I both know also there's a secondary component to this when we spend so much money on our U.S. on our military in the in that these weapons wind up coming back to our streets in the form of a 1033 program, which recycles used military gear back into our police force. Uh, you've done a lot of work with policing the police and and keeping your eye on police accountability. Are you 
fearful that we're going to wind up in a situation where at some point white phosphorus winds up back being used on Americans and on American soil. I mean, it sounds preposterous, but we've seen crazier things happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, these canisters that they found, um, they were from the the 90s. They're actually marked and labeled that they were created in the US and from the 90s. So they are obviously sitting on a stockpile like this. Uh, and hopefully, you know, they're, they're not used against uh, US citizens. We can't say for certain because uh, we've seen uh, similar done and some of these major protests, you know, police brutality protests across the country over the years. So um, yeah, we are the enemy, you know, how do we became the enemy? You know, maybe we always were the enemy, but, uh, you know, it, it's certainly a very precarious time to be an American. So it's important that we're keeping a close eye on not only law enforcement, but all this, uh, war machine activity overseas. I, yeah, I agree. I appreciate you. And I appreciate the work that you're doing over at the free thought project and policing the police. That's Jason Bassler. Follow him over at jasonbassler.com and get on board with what he's doing. Thanks, Jason. Uh, we've got Mark Gober coming up after the break. This is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Uh, the latest leftist attacks against Donald Trump claim he's going to be a dictator in a second Trump administration. And Chris Wallace on CNN playing along uh, put the question to Raihan Salam of National Review. So Raihan, is Donald Trump a dictator in waiting or is he just playing one? Well, look, what he was saying in that moment is something very similar to what Barack Obama said back in 2014. At his first cabinet meeting, he said, I've got a pen and I've got a phone. And what he meant by that is that if Congress does not do what I want them to do, I can sign executive actions and I can use my phone to rally outside groups to create pressure on Congress to get things done. And this is what he was just referring to. I'm gonna be working with Congress where I can to accomplish this. But I'm also gonna act on my own uh, if uh, Congress is deadlocked. I've got a pen to take executive actions where Congress won't, and I've got a telephone to rally folks around the country uh, on this mission. Executive orders, rallying people via the, the phone, sounds a little dictatorial to me. Uh, context and perspective. They are fake news killers. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio Vision. She was reading at a second grade level in kindergarten. Pod four swimming before she was seven. Finally convinced mom to get her ears pierced in the third grade. Came in second at her fifth grade spelling bee. Drill team in the seventh. And with one stroke of the keyboard, one click of the mouse. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Report a cyber tip today. You have the power of information. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. We're back for a final segment of the Charlie Robinson Show. It is my great pleasure to introduce to you the author of the End to Upside Down series, his newest book, End to Upside Down Medicine, was released earlier this year. He's the host of Where Is My Mind podcast, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Gober. Hey, Mark, good to see you again. Uh, we're getting into flu season, whatever that means. Uh, would you have any tips or tricks for how to, uh, at least here in the Northern Hemisphere, how to get us uh, ready for what's coming? Because something tells me they've got some tricks up their sleeves for this flu season. How are you? 
Hey, Charlie, thanks for having me. Well, when it comes to flu and sickness in general, my own paradigms have been turned upside down. So I, I don't know exactly. That's how I think about sickness. I think it's multifactorial. There are many factors that inf influence our health. And we are conditioned to think it is just a germ and there's one cure. It's either an injection or a pill and that's the end of it. And I, there's just so much more, whether it's environmental toxins, radiation of all kinds, electricity. And to me, the most important is our state of consciousness and the effect of our emotional well-being on our physical health. Yeah, I think that gets overlooked quite a bit because... It's so, you know, airy-fairy. Oh, you know, how are you feeling as a person? Well, but how much your mind impacts your physical well-being is well-documented. It's just that the, I think the pharmaceutical industry would like you to feel a little bit more detached and not think that you actually have the power to heal yourself, put yourself in a better frame of mind and change the way you're physically feeling. Because if you were to do that, well, that's a big monkey wrench in their operation, right? Absolutely. And the system in general would love for us to be dependent on it and its medications. Whereas what we're talking about here is much more about individual sovereignty. And if we can take control of our lives, what we consume and what we consume in our mind, maybe we're going to be healthy just using those means. Yeah, it feels like the the mainstream corporate media wants to keep everybody scared. It wants to put people in this fearful state of mind for a variety of reasons. One, you're extremely controllable when you're when you're there, but you also feel bad, right? So the role of improving our mental health it seems to coincide with the massive improvements in our physical health. Is that is that the way you see it? That's how I'm starting to see it. And like you said, this is a well-documented phenomenon, even from a mainstream perspective, the placebo effect or the nocebo effect, where people's symptoms effectively, the way they react to something is, to paste, is dependent on their expectations. I mean, that's a wild concept if you really think about it. Yeah. Um, your new book, End Upside Down Medicine, gets into all of this. What did you find? What was the most disturbing component of this, uh, of the, 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 our current relationship with the medicines that we, that we ingest uh, through your research? And this is part of a, of a much longer series that you have on that, that tackles all kinds of things, the Great Reset, among other things. But what did you find uh, when you dug into the medical industry? I was shocked at the sloppiness of the science for things that I thought were just well-established. For example, the idea that a germ can go from a sick person to a healthy person and make the healthy person sick with the same symptoms, that was sort of a given to me. And I would have expected just binders and binders of studies showing a sick person showing up in a room and all the healthy people got sick with the same symptoms. And in fact, the science is so much sloppier than that, where they're injecting animals in weird places in their bodies with a soup of material, and then they those animals get sick with certain symptoms, and that's, voila, that demonstrates the contagion properly. And it's much more complex than that. That's what I'm realizing. What about the role of the medical schools in all of this? We dig back into the history of the Rockefeller medicine and the Rockefeller's control over the education system with regard to medicine. It seems like they want a certain type of doctor that's a cookie cutter that believes that there's only one way to treat the symptoms. It's with more pills or with, or with surgeries or whatnot. But if you get outside of that into the holistic area and start to ask questions about maybe we should re-examine some of these other tactics and, and treatments that we had had for a long, long time. That's deemed pseudoscience and quackery, right? Did they just set this up in a way to rig the game so that it only goes in one direction towards their established medical industry? 
Well, in 1910, there was the Flexner Report, which is publicly available, and this was supported by the Rockefeller Foundation and the Carnegie Foundation. And it did exactly what you described, Charlie, which is that it pushed modern medicine away from more holistic treatments toward the what's now the allopathic model. And that meant the med schools had a certain curriculum, and this expanded beyond the U.S. into other nations, too. So the whole model for health and disease became this reductionistic model. We're going to look for this one cause, and this medication is the only way to get rid of it, rather than really looking at the root cause of why people get sick. Yeah, and then you've got the Rockefellers going on to start the United Nations, and then the United Nations um, subcategory starting the World Health Organization. I saw... Um, do you, well. I saw today, this is an interesting thing from the World Health Organization, which I obviously I don't trust at all, but I watch what they're saying. They put out an article saying loneliness was a, quote, global public health concern and that they described loneliness as as harmful as smoking 15 cigarettes. Uh, what do we make of this? I mean, is the World uh -huh. Health Organization to be trusted? I feel loneliness probably is a, a real a real problem for many, many people. Not that, you know, they keep coop you up in your house and tell you that you, you can't go to work. Of course, that, that, that impacts things. But should we ever listen to anything that the World Health Organization says? Well, it feels like they're a few years too late. So perhaps it's a way for them to cover themselves by giving some credible information that our emotional states, such things like isolation, those matter. But if we had heard that in 2020, maybe people would have considered more holistic solutions. So now they get to say, well, we, we at least said the right thing at some point. Yeah. Well, do you think they're losing their grip on the general public? It seems like over the last couple of years, the World Health Organization has some credibility problems. I, mean, I might be putting it a little bit mildly, but they've said one thing and done another. They've said that this was going to be way worse than it would be and then it wasn't. And so um, how's the messaging coming from the World Health Organization these days? It feels a little inconsistent to me and that maybe even the normies that, nor that generally just do what they're told with regard to um, ma make, maintaining their own health. It seems like these days, even they are starting to ask questions about the World Health Organization. Do you think that's probably a good thing for us all? I think it is a good thing. And I've noticed that myself. A lot of people who were not questioning the narrative in 2020, now basically everyone is. So the World Health Organization and other centralized bodies, if in the future they want to enact global lockdowns or things like that, where there's kind of centralized power, they need to reestablish credibility. Yeah. Yeah. It's an information war, as Alex Jones kind of mm -hmm. rightly said years and years ago. And it seems that um, that these establishment bodies are starting to lose their their luster in the in the public eye. I'm curious, you wrote an, another book uh, called An End to the Upside Down Reset. We're talking about the Great Reset. It used to be that if you know, when we spoke about this years ago, it was conspiracy theory. It was it was well maybe this is happening <clears throat> but but this is you know this is a good thing right what did you find when you wrote this book about the direction that this globalist uh, organization is taking towards trying to remake society in their image well the nice thing about for me in terms of writing this book is that i didn't have to invoke any conspiracy theory to write it because the world economic forum klaus schwab and his colleague thierry malaray published covid19 the great reset and then a sequel book called The Great Narrative. So it explains the vision for society. And they present it in a benevolent light because for, for them, that's the way they want society to be. Uh, but as I looked at it, there were six segments that I, I teased out from it in terms of how they want to reshape society. It's the culture, the economy, politics, the environment, technology, and metaphysics. 
So this to me is a comprehensive reshaping of society. And I think we're in the midst of it right now. What did they have planned for technology? Because we hear them talking about this fourth industrial revolution and uh, they talk about, well, the first industrial revolution was steam. And, and then it goes on to, you know, we get to the third industrial revolution. We're talking about computer chips, wafer chips and, and silicon chips. And then as we move into the fourth industrial revolution, they come out and say, well, this is the blending of man with machine into what is known as transhumanism. Now, I know a thing or two about Julian Huxley when he was running the British Eugenics Society for a long, long time. They got to a point where it had such bad public relations for that name, eugenics, you know, with all the mass murder and, and whatnot, that they had to go through a rebranding. And what he suggested, they rebrand eugenics as transhumanism. So when I hear mm -hmm. Klaus Schwab talking about the fourth industrial revolution, the blending of man with machine and calling it transhumanism. And then I, I remember what Huxley was talking about, how this is just a code word for eugenics. Are we walking ourselves into a, a depopulation outfit here? That's what I worry about. I mean, it feels very dystopian to read the way they talk about this fourth industrial revolution and the merging of man with something artificial. And to me, from a metaphysical perspective, lots of my books talk about the nature of consciousness and the fact that our human body might actually be a vessel for something metaphysical. So from that lens, who knows how damaging it could be to start blending humans with AI or to artificially uh, merge our brain with technologies that are not natural. I just, we don't know how dangerous that could be. Yeah. Which of those six uh, components of your book did you find the most alarming? Because it's it, it's it's hard to kind of pick which one in my mind, because they're all, you know, there's there's downside to all of them. But uh, in your research, what was the, the the component that alarmed you the most? Well, generally speaking, the movement is about centralizing power and taking away human freedom. It's not about human flourishing, to use the terminology of Alex Epstein. It's about restricting human impact. And maybe for me, at, at my stage of development, the environment was the most alarming because I hadn't looked into that too much. I had heard that there were varying opinions on it. But after seeing what happened with COVID, it became clear that the climate agenda was basically the same thing as the COVID agenda, just a, a fear mechanism to try to control people. Not to say there aren't environmental problems, but it's a weaponization. And I, one of the things that stood out to me is a, a clip from Project Veritas, a CNN technical director. This was April of 2021. So the climate, we weren't really talking about climate as much back then. It was much more about COVID and lockdowns. And he's undercover uh, being recorded saying, look, we've been told by the head of the network that once this COVID stuff stuff slows down, we're going to move to climate. And that one's got longevity. And this is about fear, to paraphrase. Yeah, I remember watching that uh, th that uh, clip. And, uh, and, but, and I'm not surprised, of course, because this is, it's always about fear. And I think that what the general public needs to understand is that they're, they're hijacking all of the emotions that human beings have attached to pollution, a very real thing. You know, a, a very real we're we're polluting the lakes and rivers and and oceans and 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 creating you know and burning things and and creating all kinds of eco, uh, ecological disasters and that's very real and the emotion that you have when you when you watch something like that you think well we've really got to clean up this beautiful planet but that's not climate change right that that to me climate change in the way they frame it 
is another invisible enemy, just like COVID or maybe terrorists that's just around the corner and is definitely going to get you unless you pay more taxes to make it go away. Did this open your eyes to uh, the Club of Rome scam, their 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 admission back in the early 70s that they were going to use the threat of global warming as the, as the funding mechanism for their world government and that they went on to add, it doesn't matter if it's real or imagined for the purposes. So they even admit they're going to fake it. Did you, did you find yourself, um, you know, getting, uh, linking this back to these globalist organizations? Hmm. It's not one of the things I explored in the book. I mean, I mentioned in the book that the Great Reset seemed to be a continuation of prior ideologies, basically rebranded. And I think that's what you're pointing out. I hadn't heard that specific fact, but it makes sense to me. I mean, these invisible enemies seem to be based on models like COVID and climate change, for example. They're based on models which are imperfect. And we've seen historically how they've been wrong over and over again. And yet they're treated as fact. And then we're told that a group of people knows what's best based on what the model spits out, that they know what to do in order to fix it. So to me, there's two things that I would doubt. Number one, is the science actually accurate? And there are many scientists who are questioning the narrative. But even if you assume the science is right, are these the people to enact the right procedures to correct things? I'm not sure about that either. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just as easy to buy a scientist as it is to buy a politician. I think we've seen over the last couple of years, we've watched the the source material be fraudulent we've watched Niall Ferguson say that you know everybody's going to die I and mean, this is a, a an alarmist guy that has uh, access to uh, modeling computer modeling and he has been very instrumental in the UK in particular of trying to cull animals over the years due to fears the the of viruses that are spreading that way it seems as though the enemy of humanity is mankind according to the club of rome so is this ultimately just about the carbon that they wish to reduce being us <laughs> sadly it feels that way sometimes and it probably depends on who we're referring to when we say they because i do think there's a spectrum there are probably some people who are aware of what's going on and others just people that i feel like i've come across who have a really good intention and they just believe the science exactly as it is and they think this is the best way forward. Now, it leads to the same place. It leads to an agenda being pushed on us and us being told that we need to restrict what we eat and how much we travel. And basically, um, our, our freedom is in someone else's hands. Yeah, that's never a good place for it to be when it comes to to uh, these globalist uh, groups such as the World Economic Forum. If it's up to the World Economic Forum, we'll all live in 15 minute cities because in order to go outside of that, well, Mark, you wouldn't need to really leave your 15 minute city. Why would you? You have you have everything that you need here. You're like, yeah, yeah. But can I? Uh, the answer, mm -hmm. unfortunately, is no. So where do we go from here? What's the next book in the series? Have you started working on that? You're one of the most prolific. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh proficient <laughs> writers of my uh of of my era and i know that you've always got more books on the horizon what should we expect from you in the coming year i wish i knew charlie i appreciate you saying that the books seem to spontaneously emerge i didn't know the medicine was coming until a few months ago basically so i i remain open and i just try to keep my my mind on the pulse of what's happening well, I certainly do appreciate all the work that you've done. If people want to connect with your work, where is the best place for us to send them? My website is markgober.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com. And Amazon has all my books, all six of them. They are available in Kindle, Audible, and hard copy formats.
Thanks so much for joining us today, Mark, coming back on the program. It's always great to talk to you. I feel like we're turning a corner here. Awareness is the most important component right now. Get everybody to understand that there is a battle on for our minds. And if you can get them to understand that, then um, they'll be less likely to fall into these traps in the future. Um, I'm taking a little bit of comfort knowing that the ESG component to the World Economic Forum's plan seems to be falling apart. The massive corporations are starting to move away from it and ditch it because it's bad for business. That's always a good thing for us. If it's bad for business for them, then it's good for humanity. Big thanks to Jason Bassler from the Free Thought Project and Policing the Police and, of course, Mark Gober. I'll be back with you tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern. See you then. This is TNT Radio.